All right, we'll start and see if people come in or not. Um, I think I think uh, on the email that I sent, I guess the next thing that we will talk, I, I don't know if we want to pick up on anything that we talked last week. Um, I don't remember what we talked. I, I, I've been in so many talks that I totally forgot. But I think um, to talk this week, the first thing would be maybe that people can share what they think it's the most important thing for them doing tape to think about you know? and maybe elaborate a little bit about what they do doing tape that's you know does anybody want to start with that sure i can start go ahead john i think um i think by the time i get the taper it's more of uh um i think the bigger focus is on the mental aspect because in my belief, the, the physical work has been done and it's just kind of fine tuning um, and fine tuning, meaning, you know, giving them enough rest to make sure they've got the speed, make sure they can make their, you know, swim their mile or their 500 or their 50 or their 100, um, you know, reinforcing things that we worked on through the season, but not teaching them anything new because um, that's just too much for them to think about. <clears throat> I tend to focus a little bit more on the mental side, just keeping them happy, keeping them excited, keeping them looking forward, you know, explaining to them because usually, you know, those first couple of days they feel great and then they feel terrible and then they feel great again. Getting them through that lull is always, uh, always a big one. Um, but I think, I think really it's the mental aspect because I feel like the, the body work's been done. So it's just allowing the body to perform the way we've been practicing all season long. And then uh, how do you, when you think about taper, do you have a, a specific like cycle or microcycle or whatever it is of a certain number of weeks that you like to do? Or... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because it kind of changes every year. I mean, I think it's, if we're doing a full taper, it's probably between a week and a half to three weeks depending on, who the athletes are. And I think all of them will kind of bring down some intensity or some yards, depending on who, on who they are. And I mean, I coach mostly high school age kids, um, you know, 14, 15, 16. So I really didn't differentiate the sprinters a whole lot until the last four or five weeks where I started to drop them down a lot more. Um, I try to kind of keep it, you know, we kind of decrease Monday's usually a higher day and we go down to about Saturday and then Monday we kind of go back up a little bit since they've been off all weekend long and, and continue down. I try not to get below um, what I think their meat yardage is. So between warm up, prelim finals, that sort of thing, you know, if they're doing 4,000 yards a day at a swim meet, um, I try not to get below that until maybe the week of the swim meet to allow them that that extra rest. Um, I usually kind of go an aerobic day, uh, maybe something more pace and then maybe a broken or something off the blocks. And then Thursday is kind of aerobic Friday might be, let's see how they're feeling. I feel they need another um, aerobic day. We'll do aerobic on Friday. Um, cause Saturday's usually, you know, I try to put them in swim meet frame of mind. So there's always something off the blocks or, um, uh, you know, broken or something like that because we usually go Saturday morning. So I want them to be able to get up in the morning and, and race. So I try to use Saturdays as, as kind of that uh, meet focus. Um, but yeah, I would just kind of cycle through that as, as we bring down the intensity. And then girls, I'll usually keep a little higher aerobically at least. Um, distance swimmers, obviously, I'll keep them, you know, I might drop down everybody kind of the same, but then the the girls or the distance swimmers might go an additional 1,500 of pulling just to kind of keep a little bit of power and feel their stroke a little bit. Awesome. I have a question for John. Go ahead. John, I have a question. You talk about the mental side, and you know how excited I am about the mental side. So when you talk about focusing more on helping the swimmers to be excited, uh, focused, and uh, motivated, and all that. Is something that you do with the type of training? Or do you talk to them before the, the training, during, you know, two weeks before the big meet? Or w what do you do? Because, you know, we, had, we have been in other talks, and 
everybody may have a different way to do things. What are some of the things that you do? Right. So, um, first of all, it starts with me. So I try to come in and make sure that, you know, any problems I had throughout the day or any issues or whatnot are put behind me. And when I walk out onto that pool deck, um, I want them to see a coach that is one excited to be there, believes in their swimmers and knows that their swimmers is confident that their swimmers are going to swim fast at the meet. So, you know, kind of the body language, how we're at, um, and usually about seven, eight weeks, maybe even 10 weeks out, we start working on uh, visualization, meditation, you know, three times a week. Um, and then we do it a little bit more as we get closer to the meet. We start to talk about different things. Um, you know, what does the meat look like? What does it smell like? What's the sounds? What is your routine? Um, so we go through some of those different things. Um, I try not to, I don't overdo it. Um, I don't want to sit there and all of a sudden we're going, you know, an hour of, of psychological work. Um, it's just more short, um, you know, every Monday and usually one other day, I'll talk to them for about five, 10 minutes, just about mental toughness or, you know, being excited and how that helps you. Um, so we just kind of reinforce that. Uh, but I think more importantly, I try to make sure I'm having fun. They're excited. They're having fun. I joke around a little bit more. Um, you know, we just try to make it interesting and make sure that they're, they're happy. They're excited. They're looking forward to their meet. And, um, and then we just talk about different scenarios, um, as you know, as we get there, okay, what are you going to do if it's raining? and we're at an outdoor pool, or what are we going to do if um, you, your suit rips? What are you going to do if your goggles rip? So that they at least have a, a easy plan, not something that's um, super difficult, but just a real, okay, you get up behind the blocks and your goggles break, what are you going to do? You know, what are your three first three actions? Uh, so, you know, and it's always make sure the officials know and stop them. Don't let them get the other summers up on the blocks. Uh, so just, you know, scenarios like that, just to make sure they're prepared. We talk about, you know, what the temperature is going to be like, you know, bring extra towels, make sure you, you know what your snacks are, your water, you know, your warm up routine, that sort of thing. And then um, we also have a couple days in those weeks leading up where we allow them to kind of go through their warm up routine. Nice. I like that, you know, you're one of the first people that I hear are talking about themselves. Because usually we talk about the swimmers not helping, but we never talk about the influence that we may have in taper time or whatever we're thinking and feeling, you know, that the swimmers can feel also. You know, we don't think about that. We think more about giving things instead of just setting up ourselves to feel good, feel excited, so they feel the same. That's something that Sergio told me years ago. I remember Sergio, he says, that the swimmers feel what you what you feel. So if you're upset, they're gonna feel it. If you're happy, they're gonna feel it. So thank you for sharing, John. Thanks. Hey, John. Um, just to kind of follow up, you mentioned um, mental training. How do you mental training and visualization? How do you do visualization with your guys? Um, like I said, we start depending on how long the season is, I like to give them at least eight to 10 weeks. And, you know, we just go in our dry land room when we're at bowls and turn off the lights and just start just learning how to breathe, take deep breaths, relax the heart rate. Then we, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I learned all this from Sergio and Mark a little bit, um, but just learning how to deep breathe. Um, you know, then we kind of imagine, you know, breathing in good energy, exhaling bad energy. Um, then we start with like, okay, I'll give them the, the practice for the day. And I'll tell them, okay, you know, we're going, I don't know, 2050s at 200 pace, you know, on 50 seconds. And, um, you know, how are you going to feel on numbers, uh, 16 through 20? You know, how do you want to feel? And we'll just focus on that aspect because we'll look at that as the end of our race. Or it might be, you know, we've got a long, boring aerobic set worth 4,000 yards of, you know, whatever it is. I said at this point on the set, what do you want to be thinking about? So just getting them to used to thinking about being in the moment and understanding what they're doing now. All right. 
Cool. Anybody else has a question for John? Awesome, John. Thanks a lot for sharing. Oh, no problem. Thank you. Who, who, who else wants to talk about taper time? What's important? Come on. There's only 27 coaches, but all of us do some sort of taper. Okay. For me, the little ones. What do you think about the taper on the little ones? How long does any, you know, I don't know if any of you, the ones who are present today have had little ones. And how long of a taper do you do and how do you approach it? So, Carla, I'll jump in because I do work with little ones a lot. Um, for the little guys, the way I see it, their muscles are this big. They don't need three, four weeks of taper. Um, but, you know, give them – it's more – to me, for the little guys, it's more about getting them excited that they're going to go race versus actually tapering them because they're little balls of energy. So, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do something, like, just fun the last – 10, 15 minutes, we'll do a, a, of practice and we'll do a team cheer just to get them all psyched up for a, for, for a mini meet or something like that. That's how I see taper for the little guys. I don't know about you know, anybody else. That's how I see it. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I get them excited too. And uh, we do fun things and we do fast things. You know, I do a lot of uh, uh, fin things that 25s and they love mm -hmm. to the get going, you know, um, unlike, uh, I'm like you. I mean, I don't think to cut, you know, I don't even cut the practices. I have to steal the hour and a half. Maybe I give them more rest in between sets and things. But uh, other than that, I try not to. And the reason I ask is because, you know, I know I know a lot about all the older kids, but I, I wanted to hear anybody, you know, saying, but I'm glad. I, I do the same thing. It's about the excitement that we're ready. We're going to go over and kill it, you know. And I, I do visualization with my little ones because – I always get them together and I ask them how many of them get nervous, in, you know, when they're going to go over to the meet. And I ask them, why are they nervous, you know? And I, I, I do the same thing. I mean, can you control that? No, they cannot control that. So, so why do you think about, start thinking about, and I try to guide them and what to, you know, try to focus themselves when they're in the block. I ask them also at nighttime when they go to bed, try to close their eyes consider that they're in lane four and see the pool empty. It's just about them, you know, nobody else. It's about just you. And they mm -hmm. get excited about that. And a lot of them said that helps them, you know, that helps them because they see what they want to do with it. So that's my visualization with my little ones. You know, I do a little bit of what John said too at the beginning, you know, the breathing and the relaxation, but you know how little ones, they start laughing and some of them, you know, are kind of like not paying attention at all. So I think it has worked a little bit more, you know, like if I sit them down and I ask them to relax and, and I ask them to start thinking that they are in lane four, you know, they are, they are the man, they are the woman of the meat, you know, and visualize themselves, how they're going to, you know, swim the way they see the best swimmer swim. So that's one of the things that I've been doing. Even in this time that we've been uh, off, I have given my little ones a homework, uh, picking a, a video of a favorite swimmer, you know. I said, watch the video three or four times. Then the next day that I see them on dry land, I said to them, okay, so now you're going to see the videos again, and you're going to see what is it that you like the most. Maybe the kick of, uh, you know, of a breaststroker, or maybe, you know, the strength of uh, Phelps when he's swimming the 100 fly. A lot of them love now these days Caleb in the 100 free or the 100 fly when he broke. And I said, okay, now visualize, close your eyes, and visualize that's you. That's you. Don't doubt it for a minute. Just visualize it. And I get a lot of good response. The kids love that. I mean, they see themselves in that position. And I said, well, and I use what Mark said the other day, and I've been using it. And I said, remember, the brain has no eyes. So you can put that visualization in your head and see it and doing it. So I, I think that helps a lot. I mean, and I, I've been using a lot of the things that, you know, the Mark has said over there, Marcos, you know, so... Uh, I'm excited about it, and, and I think, you know, that's why I wanted to ask what everybody else does with the little ones. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor. Gina, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> awesome. Who else? Nobody. Uh, I'll go. Um, uh, for me, uh, taper starts probably, I want to say, five weeks before the meet, and we're talking about older guys. But even when I was at Bowles, I think many times John had a question mark in his head at the beginning um, when he was helping me out. 
because I like to rest a lot. I believe rest is the, the most important thing in any taper. Um, and you can rest in many different ways, but sometimes we're in, in, in a culture of that we're afraid to rest people, you know? So I started around five weeks. Around five weeks, I stopped doing weights with the older guys and men and women. And um, sometimes a couple of them might lift a couple more times. And then with the medicine ball, the conditioning, we stopped probably three weeks before. And then I, let, I give them a couple of times, uh, five minutes or 10 minutes choice. And most of them don't do anything. And then we kind of do, a, I don't have any scientific word that ways, but it's kind of like a ladder, a stagger type of taper, you know, for the five weeks. And we keep going down instead of like being on a line down, we just reach a plateau and then go down and reach a plateau and go down. Um, I don't know the volume, uh, how much I drop it because I never pay attention to the volume. But I would say I agree with John that with many swimmers, uh, I try to think about that they should be doing at least the same amount of volume that they do in a race, doing day race. Granted that I have some sprinters and some people that they like to do 200 for warm up, swim the 50 freestyle, they do a 75 for warm down. So that's not much of a volume <laughs> for the day of the meet, you know, and if they have a relay, they maybe do a thousand. So, but um, I don't worry so much about the volume. I think the most important aspect would be rest and then the psychology of how you treat the athletes, you know? And the psychology it doesn't have to have a, a system of, of, of meditation or no meditation or, 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 you know, it's just the psychology of how you understand people, you know? Uh, when you drop, when you go and finish weights or you finish medicine, uh, med the, the dry line, and you start changing a little bit uh, the intensity of the training, there's a lot of things that happen in the, in the joints and the ligaments and the kids for a couple of weeks. They feel very good. They feel awful. They feel very good. They feel awful. So it's how you can understand that, those moments and individually help each, each one to, you know, to go through that you know and a lot of it is you spend a lot of time a lot of time talking with each kid you know because one kid today feels awesome and comes back tomorrow and they're so sore and they don't understand why i'm so sore because i, I haven't been doing this and i haven't been doing that and i have to explain to them it's like when we taper it's like it's like when you have a door the hinges of a door and they're they're, they're rusty you know so when you start tapering what we do is kind of like put oil in those hinges because when you start dropping the weights and you start dropping things, the ligaments and things are changing so much that they feel like they start having, they're being in pain. And, you know, so it's, there's a lot of psychology going on, a lot of talking and a lot of making them understand. Uh, yesterday we were talking with the Southeast Asia people and somebody brought up that they stopped taking times, you know, uh, we do that a lot, but not just doing taper, you know, like I talk with the coaches about not taking times because some of the kids and the more doing taper, they need to feel that they're going faster every day because if they're not going faster, they don't feel that they're going to be better. And that's a, that's a myth, you know? Um, so sometimes it's very important not to take times, just teach them how to understand to do a task, teach them how to understand if you swim in the hundred backstroke, how many kicks, how many this, how many that, and forget about the time. Because honestly, time is relative. And you know, today you can go 46 and tomorrow, you know, like we do this, these three 100s, 10 days before the meet, I always do three 100s from a dive. You, let's say for the 200 people, you know, 200 people and down, three 100s from a dive with a suit with 15 minutes rest. And, and they go the first one, five to six seconds of rest time, the second one, four to five or three, you know, in the last one, no more than two seconds of rest time. And I had guys that out of the blue, they got 4,600 backstroke. They dropped their best time. And then they go to the meet 10 days later and they go slower, you know, just because they've been just thinking so much, you know? So you have to be, you have to be very careful how you manage all those moments, you know?
So when they get to the meet, they don't have any doubts. So if you know, so but yeah, that's more or less you know. I I keep my three day cycle where I do right now. I've been doing power speed on Monday, uh, aerobic work on Tuesday, race pace on Wednesday, and then the next cycle I go aerobic on Thursday, power speed on Friday, and race pace on Saturday. And I keep that cycle all the time. If I see that they're very tired, maybe I add I take one of the those sessions of power speed or uh, uh, race pace and I do some aerobic work or I give them the afternoon off. And, but yeah, I keep pretty much very consistent with the, the type of work that we do. That's, that's my take. Sergio, a quick question for you yes. there. Um, we had a similar situation there where our top sprinter, he it was probably about 10 days out from his race. Uh, he popped a lifetime best in the 50 free. Uh, we threw an old suit on him, and uh, then he ended up going slower at our meet. Um, when you have that happen, how do you kind of take those next 10 days, and how do you keep them from overthinking and, you know, keeping that from happening to where they can still go faster at their meet? Uh, one of the things that I try to do is, like, for example, when we do these three 100s, you know, uh, the first one, if the first one they go too fast, many times I stop them, you know, like if, if you want them to go the first one, uh, uh, f four to five seconds or whatever, and they go two seconds of the rest time, that that happens a lot, I'd rather stop them, you know, like, like, for example, Kevin Corders on the first one would go 006, like, why do I need to go faster than that? He already knows that he, like, without trying, he thought that he was going to go four seconds of his best time and he goes two seconds of his best time. So we call it day and he can go home. Make sense? Uh, so you have to be very careful with that. You don't want the kids, we get so excited, you know, about swimming fast. And sometimes we just put them in a situation that they have no pressure. The whole team is cheering. They have a suit. They feel good. Boom. They, and, you know, and out of the blue, 10 days later, they thought, oh, if I went 46, or like 195, I gotta be 19 now. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they psychologically, or they, they have a mental block. So that's the, the hardest part, you know, how you manage all that. I think it's important to make them feel that they go fast, but some people, you cannot allow them to get to that point. Because if they swim at best time and they start thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking, like we had a guy, uh, Peyton, you can explain it because uh, it was a little bit different. But while we were at the ACCs, Peyton was taking care of, of, of our guys. And, you know. Yeah, so we were doing a, it was one of Albert's sets because he's our sprint coach. Uh, and he's on a few 50s from the block, basically kind of the same concept coming down each one. And he really wanted to go under 20 point. Um, and he was, at that point, kind of freaked out he was being a little bit of a head case about everything like he was super worried about how he was feeling every single day in the water like some days he'd come in he'd be super excited and he'd be happy and, and he'd be swimming really well the next day he'd be like really sore and you could just see it in his body language like he was just down um <clears throat> so when the set he came down in the last one uh with my watch and again it's hand time he was 20.1 but i told him it was 19.9 because it was just one of the things i just saw like the way he was acting through the set because his, his first one was really good. His second one, not so much. Um, and just watch his body language after that. And he was just like, kind of like just down. And I was like, oh, he's got to go, he's going to go fast here. And he, even when he went 20.1, he had two bad breakouts and a bad turn. So like speed wise, he was, he was under 20 point, but he just didn't execute. Um, so I didn't think it was, you know, that big of a deal to kind of, uh, you know, skew the truth a little bit to him and make him feel better about it. And it was like, the, he walked out of the pool deck like super happy, super excited, you know, that day when if I told him he went, you know, 20.1, he would have been bummed for the next two or three days. And it's just like you talked about the, the mental aspect of it. Like sometimes it's better to just like, you know, pat him on the back and say, oh, good job. <laughs> Instead of, you know, give him the, the hard truth right then. Yeah. And later on, he ended up going 19.3, broke the school record. Yeah. And he went 18 something in the relays a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So I think so you have to play with that, you know, and everybody's a little bit different. 
you have other guys that if you allow them to get to the point where they're going so fast, that you might put too much pressure to them, you know? So, so and it's, it's a risk, you know, because sometimes you don't think about it. If you have so many swimmers in the water, and you get so excited and you cut up in the moment and somebody's swimming a very good time and oh come on let's go and see you can do this and then it's like the goal was to be two seconds of your best time under two seconds so if you go 1.99 you get so if your best time is a minute and you go 1019 it's a good thing but if in the group somebody went 59.9 now they want to go 59.8 you know what i mean so it's you have to be very careful cool thank you uh, any other questions? Uh, any other things? Yeah, I just want to add, I would say that also during taper time is probably about the only time I might lie about a swimmer's time, um, especially if I know that they're going to be really upset for, for you know, three or four days through it. Then, I mean, I'm not talking like if they want a 33-0, that I'll tell them a 32-0, but, you know, I'll fudge a tenth or here, and we all know that, it could be accurate if our thumb slips or, you know, how we saw their finish or how they pushed off and when we started the watch. So, I mean, I don't always look, in that, look at it as, as line because it can always be a little, a little different each time. But <clears throat> I look at it more as just trying to keep them excited throughout that process, especially when they hit that phase of those three or four days where they just feel awful and they're sore and tired and whatnot. So then you, I think one thing too would be how you manage the sets, you know, how you construct the sets that they're important for them. You know, when I was growing up, it was very important to do broken 200s. You know, when you do 450s, 10 seconds rest, all out fast. And one of the things that I realized that I rather do a progression. So let's say that I do three 200s uh, broken, you know, a few days before the meet. Uh, you know, I normally go, the first 200, some, the first 50, 75%, the second 50, 80, the third 50, 85, the last 50, 90. The next 200, 80, 85, 90, 95. The last 200, uh, 85, 90, 95, and 100 with 10 seconds rest. If you think about it, that's how you race. When you race at 200, you don't go balls out. If you go balls out, not many people survive. So, so you have to construct the sets in a way that they can and you teach them how to think how they're going to race. You know, if you give me now 80%, this first 50, it's going to be fine. And if you watch them, when you do a progression like this, instead of going just fast, 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 the last 200 is so much faster. And they understand how to change speeds, you know, and progress. And if, they, they've, been if they've been training well, it's not really, it's not very hard for them. Anybody else, guys? Let's go, Toby. Yeah, I, I think I I, re, I agree very much with uh, with your uh, suggestion to eliminate the watch sometimes uh, and just look for the feel and uh, stroke count and how they move in the water uh, because uh, they have. I think I think we we need to uh, eliminate the stress. In, in taper time, try and you know just to be focused, but not not to be stressed out because there's so much pressure from to go fast. They are excited, and so I just I always try to be really really calm and assuring that they are that they are going fast, that they trained well, that they they followed. Uh, We'll try to then make minimal. Uh, we're losing you, Toby. You know, I think you might you might have a storm over there. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's okay. It was sometimes we were losing you. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I'm far away. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> well, well, what I was going to say is. That that uh, that is very important. I think that they believe in in the in the outcome, and that we need to assure them, and that the time is uh, 
is is in the preparation time not always the most important thing for me sure oh, I absolutely they when you step up on when you stand on the blocks no when you go into the pool deck as a coach they they, they cannot doubt what's going to happen and if they can feed of you and you either by talking or the actions that you have and the way you coach them they they will have less doubts and they will swim better and better you know we all get nervous i know i get very nervous i really get very nervous because i cannot control what my swimmers do you know but i can control how i make them feel so if i can yeah. be calm and i can be this and i can then you know uh so that's that's a, a, a pretty hard part of the taper yeah. but, but but thank you very much toby Anyone else? Gordon, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I guess I, at the moment I'm working with uh, kind of middle age groups of swimmers, um, kind of 13 to 18, and we barely taper at all. Um, one of the things I was, I remember years and years ago when first starting out coaching at, at an age group level, um, the coach told me never create a situation where the athletes you're working with aren't able to work as hard tomorrow as they are today. Um, so it kind of negates the need to taper youngsters. Um, and, and a lot of the developmental physiology and psychology suggests that, you know, you're working at a level and on particular skill types that taper is not really a requirement. So very different to when you've got mature athletes. I think you spoke about it in one of your previous Zooms, you know, when, you, when you, you're going off to college and you're putting weights on their shoulders and you're creating a situation where their, their tendons and joints and, and, and ligaments are, are under pressure um, over a large period of time and their physiology is under um, extremes. It's not necessarily something that, that as an age group coach we should necessarily be be coping with so in terms of taper it's, it's very much the psychology of it and, and I think that makes a big impact year on year um, so what we what we tend to do at the moment is work uh, with our, our younger kids uh, in the kind of 12-13 range teaching them some of the skills that we've spoken about here how to um, visualize the arena so year one when they come into the program and we take them through a process where they step into the building um, and we run through the scenario with them, get them into the building. You know, who do you see? What does it feel like? All of those sorts of things. It takes about 35 minutes by the time you get to the end of um, end of the season, where they're coming into what you would call preparation or peak time to, to race. Um, and we do that at the side of the pool when they come in in that week prior to racing. So they'll sit and, and just have a chill. And then we'll we'll set them off. We'll, we'll have a have a conversation, and off they go with that. So preparation and in, in terms of taper within that age range is is pretty pretty minimal. And I think even even up to the kind of 16, 17 years age group, depending on their physical maturity, there's really there's really not a necessity to drop anything, um, even as close as a day out. Um, is maybe where I would stand. Obviously, if they're if they're holding much more musculature, then yeah, I, I figure the the further the further out you can stop them hurting, the better. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's just mind. It's it's about making sure that they've got the skills. And and I think um, I think when John was talking earlier about you know getting them in or getting them into that space, I think for me with the age group I work at it's it's about teaching them what that space is so that when you get to to taper or prep time you're you're doing stuff that isn't new you're doing stuff that isn't scary um so that they're capable you know and and they're most confident at that point um, awesome. so that's probably where we would go thanks man cool uh jason what about you what do you do at texas nm uh, I screw it up. Um, I think I'll, well, I, I, I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, this year, I actually tried to listen to my swimmers more, and they wanted less rest. And so I listened to them a little bit more this year at SEC, and they swam okay or not that well. So I, for me, I always think about, I need to listen to me and my instincts, because I, 
you know, something that we talked about at Bowls a lot was, you know, you know, if you're worried about, you know, taper time and thinking about, you know, the four or five months ahead of time putting that good block of training in, if you're worried about this little mumbo jumbo magic stuff that's happening with, you know, within the two to three weeks, then you're fucked. Plain and simple. So what I, the way I think about it is now is, you know, you know, I, I listen and I watch and, you know, during taper time, I, you know, I, it's something that I really, I focus more on watching their bodies, how, you know, how they're talking to me is one of the biggest things that I look at. And, you know, something that we always talked about years ago was, you know, taper and swimming fast, you know, you can swim fast for a long period of time. If you look at, you know, a lot of the pro swimmers at, you know, the World Cup, you know, Chad Leco, all these dudes are swimming world-class times back to back to back for weeks, two months straight. You know, same thing this year when I had Beryl Gessadello in, um, in the ISL. She literally tapered for three months straight. She would go up and down, up and down, but a lot of it had to do with here and making sure that this was correct. So I think to me, taper is all about the mind and try to figure out ways for them to feel good about themselves and all the yardage and all this other stuff. I'm not really worried about It's more about, you know, trying to make them feel good about themselves and that type of thing. So that's the way I look at taper. Awesome. Thanks. Anybody else? Oh, sorry. I have a quick story. You know, in 2013, Caleb, when he went to the Junior World Championships in Dubai, one week leading up to that meet, we lived in Florida, it rained and lightning for four days straight. So he didn't swim for four days straight, and he left to go to Dubai. He told me before he left, I got this. He goes to Dubai, he swam for, uh, like, I don't know, he swam 150, 100, 200, like prelim semifinals, finals. And the very last day, day seven, is when he became the junior world champion and went 48. So it doesn't really matter. If this kid is ready to swim fast, they're going to swim fast. You just got to get the hell out of the way. Thanks. I'm going to add to that a little bit. Uh, Jason, you were talking about their body language, you know, when they're walking on the pool deck and stuff and kind of adjusting to that. Um, I know one thing that Sergio does really well, now I've had time to work with him again, is within his group, like he's more of a mid-distance group. Um, so he'll have 200, 500, 200, 100 type swimmers. And when kids come in, um, even if they're more of a 500 type swimmer, but they look super tired and down, he might move them to the set that's going to be more like 200 pace uh, type stuff, a little bit less yardage, a little bit more rest for him. Um, and he'll adjust kind of on the fly, just the way they come in. It could be the whole group. Uh, he might kind of make an adjustment right there before like watching them stretch watching a body language watch how they're talking to each other and things like that he does a really good job of you know manipulating and adjusting you know on the fly as we go thanks Peyton. you know what about you pablo what do you think awesome well, uh, hello, I'm from Argentina. I have a so-so English. Um, I think like you, uh, like you say, everybody, I think that in some questions of some Carla about the, the, the teens, kids, the younger kids, I have a 12-year-old uh, guy who are really, really faster, but I don't do taper with him for the nationals because uh, if I say, okay, this week you are going to swim five days, no seven or six, um, he are sad and, and have a lot of problem in your in her head. Um, and I, do, I don't do tapers. And the, the last nationals, he, he uh, swam six races um have gold in five races um that is my opinion in that age and the, with the um, uh, 15 and 16 years old i work in that case of uh, talking about um, the race and, and swimming fast and i do one week of taper no more 
um, when the leaf, uh, I leave the leaf uh, three weeks um, ago with the nationals. Awesome. Thanks, man. So, anybody has any questions about anybody, to anybody about the taper or what they do? Uh, Albert, this is. This I was, I was going to ask something to the group, just kind of throw a question out there to every, anyone that wants to answer it. So, everybody's, everybody notices this. And sometimes, when you have a, a, a training group that's big enough, it's, some people kind of slip through the cracks. But when you start seeing changes in people's moods, when you, when you see somebody that normally you know, is pretty happy and chill in practice, and you start seeing that you know, a week out of conference or a week out of NCAAs or a week out of trials or anything like that starts, you can see like they're nervous and they're, they're already leaving, you know, the meet and the swimming, the races in their heads and, and they're going to kind of get in on their own way. What are some of the strategies that you guys use to kind of help them get, get out of their own way? So, um, I'll, 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 go ahead. I'll answer that one first and then John can go next. Um, so something that I always remind my guys, um, so I'm, I'm over at Navy sometimes um, with the midshipmen. And something that I remind them is, um, is that the reason that they're so nervous for NCAAs and champs and Patriot Leagues and whatnot is because they care. Um, you know, that, you know, you wouldn't be nervous about something if you didn't care about it. So I kind of talk them down just out of that. Oh my God, I'm so nervous because of it. Just kind of just reminding them, like, remember why you're here. You know, you enjoy this sport. You enjoy um, being, you, you know, you, you enjoy this camaraderie with, with your teammates. You, you are here to enjoy it and you're here to have fun, you know, and I kind of remind them, you know, that, that the, that, that you've already done the work, the races are, you know, the race is already swam essentially. And the fact that you care so much about it is a good thing. So you just need to just remind yourself that really you're just supposed to go out there and have fun and, and race and that you don't need to necessarily be so concerned about the time because if you're out there with a good mindset and having fun, the time will take care of itself. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Uh, pretty similar to what he said. Um, a lot of times I'll get them to talk or get them to talk themselves through why they're feeling nervous or scared or worried. Um, because sometimes once they can, they can speak their thoughts, uh, sometimes they start to kind of realize that, okay, I don't really need to be nervous about that. Or I don't need to be nervous about, about this, but kind of along the same lines, just getting them to remember, look, you know, you're swimming because you enjoy swimming, you enjoy competing. Just get out there, have fun, and race hard. Awesome. So, I'll, I'll go ahead. Who was that? Yeah, me with the little ones. I try to, uh, like I said, I try to ask them, why, why is everybody nervous? Raise your hands if you're being nervous, you know, in the meet. And they all raise their hands. And I say, well, there's, there's a way to, uh, you know, cope with it. And for me, it's having a routine. Uh, my son was a tennis player and he was top 10 in the country. And one of the things that uh, I learned, uh, you know, to guide him through was to have a routine. You have a routine of what you do when you are going to start your sets, you know. I mean, that calms you down. It takes you away from that, you know, in your, in your inner thing saying, you know, I'm nervous. Uh, for me as a swimmer, you know, I always felt excited. I mean, it was like a, like a horse running inside me. I have all this energy when I got to the block. And for me, it was just to, you know, I don't think I, when I started, I was a very bad swimmer, but I always believe in any given day, anybody can beat anybody, you know, and that was my, my strength, you know, so I always saw myself as an underdog. And I always said that to my kids, you know, who cares, you know, who cares, just go over and enjoy it, you know, and use that energy that you have, those butterflies in your stomach you know, control them and use them as that energy. Don't let them drag you down. Let, you know, try to, to focus on something. Like John said, talk to yourself that you have something that is going to help you out. So this is your, your, your gas in your tank. So use it to swim fast and enjoy it. Instead of thinking on things that you can, you know, you cannot do anything for the kids who are on the side, you know what I mean? 
when they're little, they look a lot when they're swimming, you know? And I always say, well, you know, if you, you keep looking at the guys on the right and the left, can you stop them? No. Can you help them? No. So why are you looking at? Stop looking at it. You know, I mean, do what you can do in your race. And, and I think, you know, guiding them through using that uh, excitement and that energy in the positive way with a, with, a, uh, with a routine when they go to the block and they do their things, that helps a lot for my kids, you know? Awesome. Yeah, maybe just following on from that, that, and 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 maybe a less formal way in terms of discussing, we, whenever we recognise that happening, and and you know when it's going to happen, you know even you know you know the the, the weeks out that it's going to happen, we've got a we've got a little bit of a mantra that's called, um, food family fun, um, we go out as a as a group. We eat food together, we hang out, we re relax and chat. We don't necessarily go over why they're feeling nervous. We create a situation where they don't need to be nervous. It's not all about the meat. I think sometimes we, we try to formalize taking away from them the stresses of everyday life instead of creating situations where those stresses don't exist. So that's one of the reasons that we, we do that. It's food family fun is, is about those three things. We, we we give them during that period of time running into the, those stress situations, you know, your trials meets, your, your major, your major competitions time where we all get together and just hang out. You have a chat, you've got a group of people together and you know, if those stresses come up in that situation, it's much, much easier when you're with a group of pals to talk about what's going on. Um, and I think, as I say, we, we can create, and exacerbate anxieties um, by having, you know, like these formal, like, what's going on? Why are you like this? And, and we sometimes, we, we walk away really chuffed because they've managed to convince us that they've convinced themselves that they're no longer stressed. But the really, really anxious ones are amazing at doing that and then carrying that with them to the meet. So that, that, that kind of more social setting um, it comes from, from a friend of mine who does a, a lot of... Um, work with indigenous people um, and they they tend to deal with all of their stresses and individual stresses in the community setting um and, and as as a you know as a species we're we're much more um settled physiologically to deal with the the, the kind of response of anxiety when we hang out with people that, that we like in a setting that's non non-stressful um so you know food family fun sounds pretty you know, cheesy and blase, but there's some thinking behind that. So I think that's a big part of what we we do, create that atmosphere, give them a space, and and know that within that time frame, there's going to have to be opportunities to get them out their own head without necessarily telling them you're getting them out their own head. Awesome, thanks. Thanks for that. I think uh, Jork Hoffman asked if if we do. Well, like I'm going to answer this. If I do the same taper, I start dropping the weights for the girls and the guys at the same time and all that. And I do. I start for the same at the same time for the men and the women. Um, to me, it's like that's what I've always done. Uh, and then I take each case individually. So if there's somebody that needs to be in the weight room a little bit longer, we'll do that. Uh, you know. Uh, so, but but my goal is I start. We train all together, and at one point we start tapering together, and then we go individually with each person. So, but yeah, um, uh, you know, I'm gonna ask you this, Albert, in front of everybody, so then you can, you know, this is your first really year having your own group tapering your own group uh, by yourself. So, how was it? The big learning curve. Uh... It was very interesting. I learned a lot about about myself and about you know a lot, a lot about the kids because sometimes uh, we, at least I, I, my first instinct starting the season was uh, I wanted to be a fixer and I wanted to make everything great right away. So just being patient and and learning that you learn you learn as much from the kids and the kids learn from you or even more. Um, I guess one of the things that uh, you know starting to develop kind of my philosophy, if I, if I can call it that, because I've only been really coaching a group for a year. 
Um, one thing that I, that I, that I told them, uh, kind of expressed to them was, and I think that's the kind of coach that I want to be. It's, uh, going back to this, uh, uh, fighting anxiety and all of this is, uh, I wanted to put pressure on them on a daily basis. So I wanted to be that coach that, you know, pushes them on a daily basis, remind them why they're doing this, where we're going, what the vision is. And once taper starts, I really flip a switch, just back off. And, you know, we had some conversations about you looking around on the other side of the pool and me yelling at the kids and making them repeat stuff and things like that. And I know I, at, at times I need to uh, calm myself and, and, and really learning we learned that every kid reacts different to different things. But uh, I think that's one thing that I want to I wanna be make, I wanna make sure that I'm consistent across the board where put a lot of pressure on them. And then once they, once they know the rest is coming, it's all about enjoying it. There's no reason to go through the things that they go through and the hell that we go through in training uh, for them not to be able to enjoy taper and enjoy the meat. So I really back up uh, at that time and kind of, let them take the reins and, and, and help them out and try to, you know, work more the mental side of it. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, Sergio, one last thing I'd like to add um, with the taper is just, I think also helping them understand their bodies um, because it is important to communicate back and forth and, and learning and learning from them and them learning from us also involves that communication of how they're feeling, you know, what's going on in their heads, that sort of thing. Because ultimately, you know, my goal and our goal should be is that they can pretty much, once you get to the swim meet, you're there for, for looks. Um, you know, they should know how to warm up. They should know how to do what they need to do based on how they feel, that sort of thing. So I think also educating them on – their personal awareness as well as their own accountability to make sure they are warming up well and warming down well and etc. Thanks, John. Awesome. Uh, Toby, you wanted to say something? Yes, uh, I was going to ask Albert which group he primarily coached uh, and uh, if he um, had like uh, uh, a distinctive set he, he, he'd like to share from his tapering time? Yes. Uh, I'm coaching this year primarily a, a spring group. Um, so we have, basically we have four groups on the staff. We have a distance group, two mid-distance, and then I'm with sprint Peyton. Most of the time is with there helping me. Uh, for taper, there's one thing that I like to do. This, this I got from, uh, from when I was a swimmer. Um, the Wednesday of the week before uh, the meet, uh, we always used to come in the water. We, we, we used to come the morning off. And that was, uh, so Wednesday morning, we'll come in. We had a thousand. You can do whatever you want. You have to warm yourself up for a thousand. And then you had a 50 from a push as fast as you can go, but negative split. Then you warm, then you warm down. And then at night, uh, that night we'll come back and we normally do about two to three uh, broken 100s of the blocks. And they can be different depending on the person. We can do 425s, a 50 and a 50, um, 75 and a 25, it depends. So uh, the way, the, the, the 100 that, that as, as a swimmer uh, gave me a lot of confidence because honestly, I did it the three years that I uh, scored in the 100 flight NCAAs. It was a 50 from a dive, a front end speed on 50 seconds, and then push a second 50 back end speed. And that out of time was always within 0 0.2, 0 0.3 of what I end up going at NCAAs. So it, for some reason, it really it gave me a lot of a uh, sense of how fast I could be. And I did that this year with some of the guys. Uh, I did the exact same things for some other people. I, I kind of switched it because I have some sprinters that can swim up to the 200 also. Uh, and those people actually, uh, they were pretty close, 0 0.3, 0 0.4 seconds of that. So it was uh, up, uh, some people were 0.2 above, some people were 0.2 below. So that's some of the steps that I, that I, that I like to do. Outside of that, we work a lot on, on detail, you're sharpening details, uh, making, making sure that there's stars that are underwaters are, are, in, are in place or turns, um, just general things like that. Thank you. No problem. Anybody else wants to share on anything with the taper guys? Come on. Nope. 
I said well, one thing that I would share is that that I did uh, that I did with the spring group this year, and and I think I don't know. I'm, I, I gotta think. I gotta ask Sergio if, if we felt it worked out. We didn't get to finish the season, but uh, <laughs> one thing that I, that I like to do, and I, I hated the feeling as a swimmer. It's when you drop weight about three to four weeks, and you have some people in the group that want to stop four weeks out. Have people that lifted the Monday. The Monday before the before conference, are very different. Uh, with Sergio, we try to we try to customize uh, very much to everyone. Um, but the one thing that came across that I know I hated that feeling was stopping weights that far behind and not doing any strength based uh, things. Uh, by the time you get to the meet, you kind of feel weak. So we did a lot of circuits with med balls and and, and pull ups and just things like that to make sure that they kept some strength. And it was something very small, but it. it I think more psychologically make them feel that they were still doing some some sort of strength. So three weeks out, they will do the boys will do three times five pull-ups with some abs, some uh, jumps, with some med ball throws. Then the next uh, two days after that, for that week they'll do that, and they'll go three times three pull-ups the following week. Then the week before they do three times one pull-up, just things like that. I think that that made them feel that they were still doing some some type of strength, and it, it kept them engaged. Awesome. I think, I think uh, the bottom line, I think the, the taper is really psychological. You, know, you have to play games with the mind, as like we call manipulation of the mind. You know, and manipulating is a negative word in most of the connotations that we use it. But like the truth is that we need to manipulate the way they think and sometimes even the way they feel. You know, because sometimes they... They just like to feel bad because they're nervous. And we as human beings, we're gonna dwell on the negative of things. So, so if, 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 if I wake up today with my shoulder bothering me because I slept in, in the wrong position, it's probably because my taper is not rolling well. So you have to learn how to play with that. But I think, you know, it's like training. There's a thousand ways to get to the same place, you know? And we can, you know, as long as we take care of the kids, they'll swim fast. Um, so, anybody else has anything to say about any of this? Nope. I want to ask if anybody wants to share some uh, sets that, you know, personally, the way I try to write sets is always trying to mimic the feeling the swimmer, the feeling that I, I think the swimmer is going to get at, the, at, a, at a particular race. Uh, and how I want to kind of break down the race into pieces and, and make sure that they, they have that feeling and they know exactly how to execute. And I give an example. One of the one of the my favorite sets to do uh, with the spring group is this set that I, I like to do working on the second half of the hundred. And this is a set that I did uh, back in the day uh, with Phelps when he came for a training camp when we were training in Arizona. And it was basically four broken two hundreds. And it was long course, so it was a hundred from a push, where you wanted to be anywhere between seven to eight seconds of your best time, and the hundred was on one thirty. And then you have two fifties from a push on one thirty that you had you had to hit your goal uh, second fifth of your hundred, the goal time of your second fifth of your hundred. So for so let's say a guy that goes forty five in a hundred free, he's doing a hundred from a push, trying to go fifty two fifty three on one thirty, right into two fifties on one thirty, where I want him to maybe hold twenty two three. Does, does anybody have any sets like that 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 really feels that? breaks down the race and mimics the feeling they have at a certain event? I wouldn't say I had any particular sets that I did because I think I change it, kind of change what I do every year based on what we did throughout the season. But I think real similar, um, you know, if I want to work their first 25% of a race, I mean, we'll go, um, you know, a progression. We might go, if it's a 100-yard freestyle, we might go, you know, 325s off the blocks with some active recovery, one at 80%, one at 90%, one all out fast. Um, and then we might go some 50s trying to hit the middle of 50 and then a 25 blast at the end. Just, again, like you said, trying to hit the different parts, get them to focus on the different parts um, to you know, before they put it all together at the swim meet. Um, but, guys, thank you all very much. I have to go and run my own practice now. So you guys take care and enjoy thank the you. conversation. Bye, John. Have a beautiful See you, John. Day.
So I'll jump into the, another set that I really like, Albert, is, um, and I got this from Eddie, um, was 750s on three minutes. Descend each one. You try to go plus seven on your first one, plus six on your next one, five, four, three, two, et cetera, all the way down. And, um, and it's, it was cool because I used it, um, I used it as a, as kind of a, okay, here, here's how you're going to kind of a bit, kind of build your 500 or you can expand it out to here's how you can build your, um, here's how you can build your, your thousand or here's how you can build your 200 and kind of just modify it that way. Just that way they are concentrating on racing fast at the end. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Well, I guess nobody else. I think uh, uh, Jörg Hoffmann is here with, uh, he's from Germany. And uh, I think, I, I'm not sure how much experience you guys have with altitude training. Does any, any one of you have experience with altitude training? No? Yeah. You do? I do. Um, I've taken groups up to Colorado Springs, the Olympic Training Center before. Yeah. I and um, I've spent a couple of weeks out there um, at a time with groups. I've spent three or four days out there at a time with, group, with groups. Um, I, re I personally think that you really need to spend – now, I – I don't know the exact science behind it, but basically you need to spend at least four days out there to really, really get the training that you'll need for it to actually affect or else, cause like, cause, um, Carol, um, God, what's his name? He's an assistant at Colorado college along with Ann James. Mm -hmm. Um, they talk about, um, they're, they're, they're right next to the center and, something that they talk about is like for the first couple of weeks, if you go swim at Colorado college with them, um, Greg Arhart, that's who it is. Um, something that they'll talk about is that if that for the first couple of weeks, their recruits, they're just sucking wind because of the, uh, because of the high altitude. So like I said, you really need to be out there like three, four, maybe even a week before you actually get acclimated to the environment and you actually, feel the real effects of it when you come back back down from altitude you'll feel a lot faster the first couple of days that's just my been my experience from it and normally i don't do a lot of altitude training uh but i uh you know in spain they used to do a lot i did before the olympic games i did before the 88 olympic games and normally it takes 22 to 23 days in altitude to for a good cycle to happen it's you know um and uh, and then you get the benefits of it between 23 and 24 days later when you come down. You have to be at sea level. So, but I don't have much experience. I think uh, York has done, he's from Germany. He does a lot of altitude training. He just wanted to know if there were American coaches, you know, that they're used to altitude training and, and how they deal with it. I thought, I, I talked with York many times about it. Uh, like when he was in, in, he came a couple of times to train at Bowles and then he came one time to, to train in Singapore. And I think with Germany, he was like Olympic champion and world champion in the, mile, in the 1500. And I think with Germany, they did a lot of altitude training. He just was curious about what the American coaches do. Uh, but, you know, I don't, think, I don't think a lot of the American coaches have a lot of experience. I don't know, you can correct me guys with going to train in altitude because we only have Colorado Springs and maybe a couple other pools up there, out there, but, uh, so, but, but yeah. But hey guys, I think we're gonna call it quits today. Oh, hold on, Pablo, Pablo is sharing a set here on the chat group. He says, I write here a 1500 race space set that I use and I share, you know, is this, do you use this for, for taper or do you just, can you guys read it on the chat group? Yeah. I,
Well, thanks a lot, Pablo. Uh, you, you know, thanks a lot. Um, but yeah, guys, we're gonna call it quits today, all right? And then, you know, I'll send you an email for next week, and then next week we can talk about maybe the fa favorite sets that we, you know, if you want to prepare some favorite sets that you have and why you do them and and not, and then we can chat about those, and we can share sets of like doesn't matter they don't have to be from taper taper time you can be from any type of the season but if you have certain sets that you like then maybe we can prepare and then chat about it and 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 share the type of sets that we do and why we do them doesn't have to have a scientific why you know i think uh most of us we we might have a background in science but at the end of the day you put the science on a drawer most of the time and you just like learn from the kids and the experience of you watch a certain set do one year, two years, three years, four years, and how it evolves and the, the, the effects that that set has on your swimmers. So, and if anybody wants to talk about anything, just let me know. Right? I will post this talk uh, online right? and then we'll keep moving forward. Right? Oh, great. Thanks, Sergio. You're Thanks, Serge. You're welcome, Thanks. guys. You have, a you have a beautiful day. Right? You too. You too. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.